Hello everyone, welcome to the 29th episode of SecTools podcast by InfoSec Campus. I'm your host of the show Sanup Thomas. Unlike previous episodes, this episode is a bit special. We are not talking about security tools or security tool authors. This episode we are having Martin Tonath, the author of Material Theme for MKDocs, a software or a tool used for documentation purposes. Martin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Before we get into uh, MKDocs materials, um I would like to start the discussions by introducing yourself for the security communities and lot lot more security tools actually uses materials or MKDocs uh, uh for the documentation works. But it would be great to see uh, where you're coming from, what's your background and how you started with the project. Okay, cool. Thanks. Uh so I'm not from the security background. So um actually my background is um I'm a full stack engineer. So um I'm mainly doing work in the web um space. Um I'm also um doing some cloud architecture architecture stuff. So I really like to build products from front to back. So doing the front end but also thinking about how this thing is running and doing the back end stuff and so on. And um yeah, so maybe um a little bit on my uh where 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 I'm coming from so um actually um it goes really um, back to high school because uh in when I was uh, 14 I started building websites and um in high school I um I initially I wanted to study design and I was uh, the only guy who, who majored in math and art so <laughs> no nobody else did that and um yeah so i wanted to study design and applied for an for an internship after i finished my my high school and uh, i had to learn how um, i had to learn to program and uh, this was really uh yeah re- a real challenge for me because um i tried programming a little bit um uh when i was like 14 15 but it wasn't something i really enjoyed uh but then i started to see that it is a really creative process and um really started to love it and um yeah and um choose to study uh, actually um information information systems which is in between economics and computer science in germany i don't know if it's um uh, the same in uh, in the rest of the world and um yeah while studying i worked as a as a freelancer and um yeah did a lot of front end and back end stuff and so on and yeah so from this you see um, probably my um what i'm always trying to to achieve is on the one side it's like the math it's like the uh try to find elegant and efficient solutions so um solutions that are not bloated that work and um yeah on the other side there's this this art thing which is like uh the beautiful stuff so it it has to it, it should look uh, great it should feel great and um yeah also like a little related um usability Um yeah and this is actually what material for for MKDocs is 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 all about so this is what I'm trying to to achieve to build something that is efficient that works very well on a lot of um devices uh but also feels really good yeah and um yeah so I'm also very active in the open source community um I've uh, built some projects uh, across the stack so stuff from C to CSS and um yeah i'm also um in the startups startup space i'm currently founding my second startup uh which focuses on developer tooling around css so css is really a topic that um 
that I'm very heavily invested in because I believe that the CSS uh, space is uh, needs a little bit of improvement from the technical side. And uh, yeah, I'm dissecting that currently. So yeah, this is what I'm currently doing. <laughs> great, great. Uh, the, that's a long list of uh, work that you have done in the <laughs> development and uh, uh, whether it is in open source communities and or, or your startup works. Uh, long list of achievements there. Talking specifically about materials uh, for MKDocs, I don't know if you have realized it, but a lot of security tools documentations are largely dependent on materials for MKDocs and, and because that's the easiest way probably a security personnel can build their documentations. When I say about security people specifically, like we hate doing documentation. <laughs> Yeah. So, so any solution Everybody that does. can, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So any solution that actually makes those um, documentations beautifully presented, we love it. So material for MKDocs actually comes as the top priorities or kind of a de facto solution for anyone who wanted to build documentations around any, any tools, not just specifically security related tools. When did you start the projects? And, and of course you mentioned the, the idea came to your mind by you know giving a solution that can beautifully present documentations what was the the trigger point what was the trigger point or when did you start building this uh, amazing project thanks um yeah actually um the start was um when i wanted to release a another open source project uh, which i've built um to the public which is called protobluff which is a uh, protocol buffers implementation for c and um, yeah, I searched how I can build a, so I, I, I immediately realized that I need some, some kind of documentation site, which looks great and which explains uh, what this project is all about and the internals and so on, because uh, it's basically uh, the marketing for your open source project. And um, yeah, I looked around and realized that um, none of the solutions that existed um, actually ticked uh, the boxes that I, yeah, that I that I wanted, so um, the problem I've um, mainly was that uh, the templates, most of the templates, looked very dated, and uh, so the designs they didn't look really really fresh, you know, and um, yeah. So uh, then I decided before I can release uh, the protobluff pro the protobluff project to the uh, to the public, uh, I first have to build some documentation sites. Started building. A template. Um, quickly choose um, MKDocs because it it, it was um, it felt really simple actually. It was Markdown based, and um, I already knew Markdown. And um, yeah, I looked into it and um, quickly uh, navigated around how to build a template for it. Yeah, and then I started building it in I think it was in 2015. Um, took me a few months, and uh, the first release of material for MKDocs was in uh, February 2016. So this year we have the five-year anniversary, <laughs> actually. And um, yeah, so um, yeah, the motivation was really that there was nothing um, that I felt was was uh, cool and um, modern enough, actually. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and actually, material design felt like a good fit. I think Google Google um, uh, released the specs in 2014, so like one or one or two years ago, uh, one or two years before I started, and um, just felt felt like a good fit, like a good design language, which yeah. is simple, which is adaptable, uh, which you can um, tailor to your brand and uh, like change the colors or 
with uh, with a little. It doesn't doesn't feel really intrusive, you know. Yeah. Really, um, um, it doesn't get 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 heavy on the eyes. So uh, that's what I what I really liked about it. Yeah. Plus the the customization is super simple. Like you just have the the configurations and you just fiddle around with that, and and it makes things. Uh, more easy for uh, who are building like they can actually focus on the actual write up rather than building the whole whole website or building the whole designs of it because that that well, that's taken care by the uh, by the team itself so that that actually helps just curious like before mk dogs do you know any other static um, site generators available in the industries or was it the initial one i i can't recall like hugo and everything that happens like may pretty much lately um i i don't know actually um so no there was uh, there definitely was uh, sphinx which uh, was very um mainly used in the um python com- community and um but it's based on rest- restructured text and i didn't really like the format because um i, I think markdown is, is pretty perfect yeah. it's so easy to learn and um i don't know if hugo was uh, before mk docs or um it probably already existed um because um a few months be- uh, after i released the first version of material for for mk docs somebody ported it to hugo yeah, so right. there's a a hugo port uh which is based on the on the first version actually because on the on the 00x version uh, because when i when we released uh, 1x um, it was a complete rewrite, and um, the yeah, it's based on the old version, so it didn't get get updated. So Yugo was probably all, um, also around, but it wasn't really focused on technical docs. Yeah, and um, yeah. yeah, it wasn't really like a documentation use case, right? This is like more of a static, like proper website generator, um, or for blogs, or yeah, or, or something. Yeah, so, largely um, for blogs. Yeah. The the static site generators adoptions started picking up quite recently. Like when when I'm saying recently, like not too old, like maybe not ten years old, but yeah, fairly like five six years old. Um, people started like adopting. Like they maybe the the, the technologies are already been there, but people started using static site generator for a lot of reasons and largely in, in for for my personal reasons because it's less maintenance and I don't want to bother much about security aspects of it um, just static html css javascript pages so less maintenance was my my prior prior concern so um, the infosec campus website was completely on on static uh, static pages so when you compare the uh, make details for mk docs versus other static uh, site generators how do you see uh your project and what what's the major differences or what what were what was your concerns and key priorities to take care of um one of the key priorities you you already said um it's it should be zero maintenance it should be uh, you just write it it looks great it looks good on all devices it is easy to set up it is responsive um it has support for uh for search actually uh even though it's a static site yeah um this is one of the one of the um, um, big fo- focus points of material for for, uh, for mk to provide a really good search um without the need for a server because it's like it's just the tech docs so but uh, you you don't want to um uh invest a lot of time in managing that but it's it's really important so um yeah and um yeah and you should have um you should should not need any css or G or um javascript knowledge it's also um, really important and um yeah these are like the um the main 
I think also the main success factors of this project that um, you need uh, so less knowledge to build something that looks great. And um, other pro other generators like um, I think Gitbook was pretty pretty great at some point uh, as uh, when it was open source uh, and was also really really popular. But uh, at some point, I think it got clo uh, got closed source, and um, the open source version wasn't updated. And uh, many, actually, many Gitbook users migrated over to Material for for MKDocs. And um, yeah, and so um, we already talked about like Hugo or uh, or Sphinx. So there are um, other um, static site generators. But um, as I said, the the themes um, often are a little dated, or they're not tailored specifically to, to technical documentation. And um, yeah, there's also like Docusaurus or from, from, from Facebook or uh, Doxify ViewPress or there are JavaScript based solutions. But I think, um, um, I don't know if that's the right approach because um, one thing is you're building a, um, a single page application, which is not a static site. So you have to uh, take care of uh, things like SEO or server side rendering or, and, and so on again, which you don't really want to take care of because the JavaScript space is really, um, yeah, it moves very, very fast. And um, uh, special components like like content tabs or, or stuff um, in Docusaurus. So when you want, for example, have a, have a code block uh, in different languages, for example, for a, um, a library that consumes an, an API. And um, uh, in Docosaurus, you would need to write in MDX, which is mark, um, uh, a Markdown extension, uh, which is like similar to, uh, to HTML. And um, in Material for, uh, for MKDocs, we rely heavily on Python Markdown extensions, which are, um, which is, uh, which provides a syntax that is fields like Markdown. Um, so it is um, actually it is implemented in, in Markdown. Um, it's not part of part of the common Mark uh, standard. So there is um, there is no real one Markdown implementation, which is also uh, one of the problems. Um, but the Python Markdown extensions um, provides so much value because um, it provides things like content tabs or the icon integration or uh, the super fences extension, where you can uh, like nest code blocks in lists and put uh, code blocks in tabs and so on and so on. So you can basically nest as deep as you want. And um, this is one of the most important extensions to material for, uh, for, uh, for MKDocs because um, I've seen no markdown implementation which can do that actually. Mm -hmm. So, um, and this is really important for technical writing um, because you're, you will have a lot of cases where yeah. you have to, um, yeah, like nest stuff or um, pro, um, you want to present information in a very sp specific way and um, yeah. Also for the users it's it can be like easy to navigate and uh, uh, look where, where which use cases they wanted to like pick up from from the documentation so that's that's the good features. So that reminded me one thing like what's your favorite uh, feature or favorite part of materials for MKDocs? <laughs> if you want to pick that's the a... first uh, one. Okay, okay. Uh, so what I'm pretty proud of actually is the um, a feature um, I released quite recently, uh, which is called code block annotations, um, where you could, um, where you can put bubbles inside code blocks. And when you click on the bubble, you can, um, the, the, um, a, a tooltip opens, and there, then you can put any mark down there as you want. So it's, uh, it's actually implemented as a, as a little trick. Um, 
the idea is um, when you define a code block and you use uh, syntax highlighting, um, the pigments-based syntax highlighting, so no JavaScript-based, um, then the markdown um, contains, so it, in the language you're writing, you can, um, you can just, in the comments, you can um, add um, uh, references like uh, in parentheses, like one or two or three. This is where you put the bubbles. And below the code block, you put a um, numbered list and you can write any markdown and material for, for MKDocs will take that list and annotate each list item at the exact point where you put uh, the reference in the code block, which is really cool because um, more than often you have uh, code blocks uh, which are a little longer and uh, you, uh, below you have to explain, yeah, you look in line three, there is this and this, look in line five, there is this and this. Now you can attach exactly to the line where um, the information um, you want. And uh, it degrades gracefully when you don't have JavaScript available. So for example, when the connection is bad, then it's just rendered as comments with references and the list is below it. And when JavaScript is available, it integrates into the tooltip. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pr proud how this turned off. And I think it's a really great feature I've, I haven't seen in any, any other documentation. Um, yeah, that's lovely. I was thinking from the, um, like if I'm actually using MKDocs then, uh, or, or rather just a traditional documentation, right? Like if I'm opening a note um, or a word or like any, any word processor and then writing the documentations and I would actually do annotations in the same way that you explained, like, you know, mentioned like the, yeah. the one and, and then you kind of pass it. So that, that's, that's lovely. Yeah, it's, a, it's actually quite natural. I think I've seen it in, in many uh, research papers because yeah. normally uh, research papers, when they present um, a block of code, uh, they, they, they put it in one listing and annotate it. And then below in the text, they say like, in line, blah, 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 you see this and this, and line, blah, 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 you see this and this. And um, it's much better when, it's, uh, yeah. when you can click on it and, um, or um, use the keyboard to navigate through it and read it right at the, um, in the line where it's meant. Yeah, it doesn't change the perspective of the writer himself, right? Like, or they, right. they, they write it in the, their traditional documentation way and the passings are done by the theme. So that's that's beautiful. One thing that I've noticed, you have conscious decisions on data privacy. Uh, so you limited the, the, the number of third-party libraries used in the, uh, in the theme itself and making sure that no... I mean, even though this is like static generators, but um, there is no no uh, privacy violations happens on the page, ex except the fact that if they're using a font that is not uh, part of the theme, or if they're using a third-party component specifically, then um, when when did this conscious decision happen, or what was the reason behind it? Um, yeah, so in general, I um, try to package up the dependencies in a way that uh, you can you can self-host them. Uh, it's just um, uh, basically for re reasons of efficiency. And um, yeah, so things that we use in, so all JavaScript libraries are um, bundled and um, as I said, packaged up and not um, loaded from, from CDNs because um, uh, this is where the, um, uh, where efficiency is pretty um, pretty important because uh, when we just use a library from a CDN, we cannot tree shake it. So uh, we we're using we're integrating all of the library um, and not using only the parts we need. So uh, because um, Material for um, MKDocs tries to um, to create a JavaScript bundle which is as small as possible. So not using CDNs is basically a side effect of um, trying to build the most 
um, small bundle possible. And um, the other thing, um, yeah, and that's that, that's true for uh, JavaScript and CSS. And uh, the other thing is uh, web fonts, which are a pretty interesting topic because um, we had a very long discussion on where, whether we can bundle the Roboto web font with the Veeam. And um, there's uh, there's actually an, an issue where I uh, did some some experimentations and, and benchmarks. And um, so, because normally the Roboto font um, is actually loaded from, from Google Fonts, but you can disable it. So you can, then it just falls back to Helvetica. Um, and bundling something like Roboto uh, would mean that we would need to bundle 105 web fonts, I think, 105 web font files because of all the uh, language extensions, all the um, UTF-8 planes, which are not contained in the in the normal uh, in the in the regular um, Roboto uh, web font, and um, yeah, so um, I think when you when you build a project like this, uh, you have to yeah you have to to be really conscious about um, what you're what you're exposing and uh, how, that people. So I think if you uh, integrate like one service uh, with many people will find critical, you will, be get, will, you, uh, you will get flooded with, with issues. So you have to be really conscious about what you do. So what I'm trying is to just um, keep it at, at the minimum, but also trying to find a balance between convenience and um, data privacy. For example, like I said, with the um, Roboto web font, you can decide whether it's okay for you um, because I think it's, it's um, maybe problematic in terms of G um, GDPR here in uh, Europe. Uh, to load external fonts, or you say, no, I won't do that. I just download the font, I bundle the font um, by myself, um, and I'm fine. Um, but I um, always want to provide um, the option to um, disable external third-party services um, um, if you if you wish to. Yeah. And that's very, very easy. You can just set uh, font to false, false in um, MKDocs YML, and you're set, so um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so Martin, five years of active development. Um, currently, I'm looking at the um, GitHub statistics. There are, you have 5.8 stars and 1.5K folks. Five years of journey. What did you learn from the project or what was your interesting takeaway from the project? Or maybe a challenging experience if you want to share. Um, yeah, so the um, it was a really, really interesting journey, actually. Um, building an open source project of this size is like building a product, basically, because um, you have to understand your, your users. Um, you have to, yeah, you have to really know um, the target audience to, to which you're catering. And um, you also sometimes have to say no. And saying no is uh, really one of the hardest parts because um, even though, um, sometimes it looks very easy to implement something like um, can we just add this little feature um, under the hood it may be very complicated to to balance all the configuration options and all the possibilities all the features um, we we already have uh, to integrate something that's se seemingly so simple so um, what is what is really really hard is uh, keeping the the whole feature set um, and all the decisions and all the possible um, possible combinations in my head, actually, uh, when deciding uh, whether it is worth uh, pursuing some feature request or uh, or not. And um, 
from outside, this sometimes looks like, um, yeah, um, he always says no, like, like this. And um, this is actually really hard communicating, um, which is also why I, I wrote a, um, a small discussion on, on GitHub on uh, how I maintain this project. So what I have to think about when I um, evaluate a feature request, when I triage an, an issue and, and, and so on. So um, what boxes I have to tick until I can decide, okay, this is, we can, we can, we can do this. So um, this is really, really hard. And I think uh, templates are really one of the, of the, of the hardest, um, of the hardest projects because they are so opinionated. So when you as a, as a software maintainer say, okay, um, I'm, I need to write technical documentation and you start writing it and, and see, oh, okay, it would be great if it could be like this and this and this. And sure, it would be great, but it is um, maybe other people use, um, use this feature yeah. somehow else or, or so on. So um, from a user perspective, um, so the key takeaway is from a user perspective, it may look easy, but it's, it's, it's really hard to maintain actually. But uh, it's still a lot of fun. Um, I'm, I'm very proud how, um, how far we actually took it, um, also with the help of, of, of other users. So I really want to mention Faceless User. Um, this is his um, GitHub name, uh, because uh, he's the one building the, the Python Markdown extension. So working with him is really a joy because he is like, um, um, he builds a lot of the of the of the groundwork um, for providing these rich markdown experience, um, which, which which you get when you write in material for for MK Docs, and um, yeah, so yeah, so in general, it's a really interesting journey. Open source is is, is really is, is super interesting, and um, but yeah, at some point um, when a project gets big, it's um, it's hard actually. Yeah, yeah. I think what you mentioned is actually a lesson for myself as well to draw draw a particular line what what I wanted to accomplish and then keep the original ideas as clear as possible throughout the the project development or maintenance uh, time period I was interested to see how you manage the project and especially on your sponsorware um, strategy explain about the the insider program I think that would be interesting yeah, so the the sponsorware model is actually not not my idea. I think it's from um, Caleb um, from from Tudor. I don't know. Um, and um, I read about this uh, sponsorware methodology um, in I think April last year, and um, I was already trying to um, I was already already thinking how, how I can make this project more sustainable because uh, in the end I was working on it in my spare time, so I implemented a lot of features or bug fixes on weekends and or on, on evenings. And um, yeah, it's, it took a lot of my time and uh, with uh, so many also big companies using it like AWS, Netflix, Microsoft and so on, it somehow feels like, okay, why I'm working for free. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, I first um, thought about um, doing stuff like donations or, um, or, or something like that. But um, I've read some articles that basically said that donations like don't work. So other projects yeah. have tried it, and um, especially it's when you're giving active, something away for free. Yeah, it's not a very active method. Like um, I've not seen much uh, contributions on that front. Uh, I don't know. Like other projects may be working for them, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Please, please go ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, sure. So when you're giving something away for free, it's 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 pretty hard. Um, 
what I did first actually was I um, I've I've also seen this um, I've also seen some other user doing that was an Amazon wish list. So I just um, um, started an Amazon wish list and um, actually people um, I didn't provide any 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 additional benefit. It was just like if you want to say thank you, you can use this Amazon wish list. And uh, I got a lot of stuff actually. It was really cool. So it showed me that um, okay, maybe there is some. Um, maybe some people want to donate donate or uh, want to fund this project and um, yeah as I said then I re read about uh, Khaled's article and uh, in the meantime um, I also started a survey in in April um, which um, uh, I think 100 people uh, took part and it yield, yielded very interesting results so um, it made it possible for me to better understand the target demographics which is mostly users with no experience in front-end development, good HTML skills, but CSS, JavaScript, not so much. Uh, many back-end devs, system engineers, um, tech writers, and so on. And um, yeah, so this was my target demographic. And understanding this and um, reading about the sponsor aware model, I thought, okay, maybe I can provide a value uh, exclusively to, uh, to this target group uh, with which they will find useful and uh, follow, yeah, and like um, provide it to them. And when some funding goal is hit, the features are released uh, back into the community edition. So uh, maybe to get a little more into the insiders program, it, it basically it's, it's basically just a private fork of material for MKDocs, which contains all the new features. So every feature is um, released as part of insiders. Um, bug fixes always land uh, simultaneously in both editions, and um, I, yeah. So each, each feature is tied to a funding goal, which I set up. Um, currently, three funding goals were hit at five hundred, one thousand, and one thousand one thousand five hundred dollars. And uh, yeah, as I just said, when the funding goal is hit, it's merged back into the community edition, and everybody can use it. So. Um, and to become an insider, you um, have to sponsor me with uh, at least $10. And most people choose exactly that, um, that tier. That's perfectly fine. Um, the reason why 10 is that I wanted to keep it um, in reach for, for everybody, because I believe $10 is around the world pretty, a pretty much fair, yeah. fair amount. So in Germany, it's, it's, uh, it's less than um, one meal, actually. <laughs> And uh, for ten dollar a month, um, yeah, you will you will get all the features right away. So um, I'm working pretty pretty heavily on the um, on the insiders um, um, fork. So there is, I think, per month there are two or three new features, and yeah. Eventually, so, these features will will end up in the community later. Like once you reach the target, it will end up in the community as well. So that's a, that's a reasonable, um, and it's a very practical approach as well because then they can get an early access to the features um right and then it's basically basically about about early yeah. access yeah, yeah right one more cool thing about this is uh you can test features on a limited set of users and um also because it's a it's a limited set the adoption is not that um, super great so you can maybe if you find some rough edges you can um pivot it into something else if you uh if that if that's necessary it wasn't until now but um, it's like a testing ground. Yeah, that also makes sense because then before you push it to the, the larger community, then you can also um, make those changes if, if necessary. So that's, that's, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, thanks. Actually, 
I haven't seen um, another project adopting it. So it was um, what what Caleb was doing uh, was I think uh, he's doing it with whole projects. So he says um, that um, I'm building a complete new project and it's completely exclusive to um, sponsors. So you need to sponsor and at some point it gets released. And what was new here was um, uh, you um, I've, I've basically done it with features and I've not seen it until now, but it it seems to work. So, um, but um, yeah, you have to really know the target demographic, and um, it's it's like building a product, really. Because largely, I've seen applications uh, or the tools have general maybe a GitHub uh, sponsor button or just a coffee page or you know those kind of like a general yeah. or, a, or a PayPal page or something like that. But this is like more thought out. Uh, sponsor sp- sponsorship strategy and then you can you are you, you, okay you are also getting benefited at the same time the community is also getting benefited this is it's very mutual and it's not uh, um, it's it's not like drastic amount anyways it's uh, uh, it makes they also feel value about it um, uh, yeah it's, I, I pretty much I like that 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 strategy so I was I was impressed by reading up that that page uh, and definitely wanted to discuss about that before we we wrap up um any comments or any advices to the the upcoming or aspiring uh developers um maybe if you want to go back to your 14 year old uh, martin and wanted to <laughs> <laughs> say something about development uh, or coding um what's what's your thoughts for the new generation um yeah so basically um don't follow every hype but uh, find something that, find a problem that you care about and not some problem somebody else care, cares about. Um, because when you, when you really care about the problem, you will go at great lengths to solve it uh, in a way that, um, that, is, um, that is really good. So um, I don't know, I, I for, for myself must say that um, when I work on stuff that I care about, I'm, I'm doing my absolute best and um i'm also it also feels really good so um in the morning when i get up it's uh, working on 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 some some project which which i love is um is uh, really really rewarding and and also um yeah try to build something that, that people want this is uh, this is actually the second uh, thing that um because um when you build something that that people want um you will able you will be able to turn some money with it and probably focus your your life on it. For the last um, eighteen months, I'm also focusing on my on my startup and getting up every morning and thinking about I want to work on this problem. It's it's, it's just the most most rewarding thing um, you can possibly do. Yeah, you don't feel so like like you, a job. Uh, you 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 love working. Yeah, right, on it. right. Yeah, if you if you if if you love um, development, in the end, you have to build something. Uh, as I said, something that that people want. But um, yeah, you can. It's it's pretty pretty hard to find that sweet spot. And uh, I think with material for for MKDocs, I found some some sweet spot because I also really care about the project and I really um, I'm really excited where. Uh, where uh, I can I can push this and uh, what the future will, will bring. So maybe at some point um, um, I can pay people to help me and to build a platform out of it. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's yeah yeah. The, as the, long as definitely the areas are limitless anyway. So 
um, with a larger user space and uh, people are adopting these uh, platforms and and definitely that is that is possible like um, the, the doors are anyways open yeah yeah and to my to my 14 year old me probably um i was i was always interested in in in, in visual uh, stuff and um uh, probably uh got to know to um, got to know programming too late but uh, i i started at 20 so some people say when you start programming programming at 20 you're basically lost you will never learn it but i don't re- I, i absolutely do not believe that i think you can start to program at any age and you can you can you can be great at it as yeah. long as you want to do it and as long as you're building stuff that that you care about yeah you 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 very well called out one point that you if you want to build out uh, anything that that you love or you care about and you want to solve that problems or any learning can be easy because you don't feel like you're learning to just solve like just one algorithm or something like that you are learning to solve your own problems so you you actually put every effort into it and you don't it don't feel like learning like the the traditional schooling way right you you learn it to solve right. the problem so very well advice i think that's applicable to pretty much everybody not just security people <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you so much martin thank you for your time thank for sharing your experience with us thanks again thanks everyone for listening to the podcast we'll talk to you in the next one